Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Hey there, it's Michaela. I have some exciting news to share. Behind the Money was recently selected as a finalist for a big competition in podcasting called the Signal Awards. Now we need your help. We're in the running for a Listener's Choice Award. That's where listeners like you can show how much you love the show and vote for us. I've dropped a link in our show notes where you can easily click to cast your vote. So thanks for listening, and let's get on to this week's show. It's 2012, and inside Argentina's presidential palace in Buenos Aires, there's about to be a big announcement. Muy buenos días a todos y a todas. That's Argentina's president at the time, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, greeting the crowd there. She's also the leader of Peronism, the country's populist left-wing political movement. Es de todos, y Pefe es de todos. She's wearing a very elegant black dress and pearls, and she's speaking to a room of mostly suited men, um, mostly her supporters. That's my colleague Kira Nugent. She covers Argentina for the FT. She's giving a kind of trademark, flamboyant, quite chatty speech to lots of supporters. And she's announcing that she is sending a bill to Congress to allow Argentina to expropriate 51% of the shares of oil company YPF. In the speech, Fernandez de Kirchner is saying she wants to take control of YPF, which is a private sector company, and expropriate it. That means turn it into a state-run company. And so by expropriating it, she was kind of both asserting Argentina's sovereignty, which is a big thing for the Peronist movement, and also saying the private sector here has done a very bad job and we, the state, are going to do a better job. Fernandez de Kirchner's supporters celebrated the move. It was portrayed as a chance for Argentina to take back control of one of its valuable natural resources and grow the country's wealth. In the years since Fernandez de Kirchner's Peronist government took this swing and took control of YPF, the entire country's fortune has taken a turn for the worse. Inflation has soared. The central bank has negative reserves. An economic crisis worsening by the day. So annual inflation in Argentina is running at 124%. Um, The price of food and other goods is going up all the time. Salaries are really not keeping pace with that. And it's all that anyone is really talking about on the streets of Buenos Aires. On a macroeconomic level, Argentina is really held together by twigs and string at this point. They have been making some very unsustainable economic choices, rolling over lots of debt. The country owes more than $420 billion, mostly to local bondholders and the IMF. And now, as Argentina struggles, its decision years ago to seize YPF has also come back to haunt it. A judge in New York ruled just weeks ago that the country owes shareholders $16 billion for its seizure, adding even more pain to a country under a lot of pressure. 
The timing of this judgment, given the state of Argentina's economy at the moment, is pretty unfortunate. For a lot of Argentines, it's almost outrageous. Tendera from the Financial Times. Today on Behind the Money, we're going to look at why the Argentine government owes shareholders billions of dollars and what this means for Argentina as an important presidential election is just weeks away. So let's talk a bit more about this oil company called YPF. YPF is an old business. It was founded back in 1922 as an Argentinian state-run oil company. But by the early 1990s, Argentina's government decided it didn't want to run the company anymore. They wanted to sell it. But selling YPF required some special stipulations. Argentina's reputation on the international stage wasn't great. Here's the FT's U.S. legal correspondent, Joe Miller. He's been reporting on the story with Kira. When Argentina tried to privatize YPF, it had to offer very strong guarantees to investors that their investment would be safe and that their shares would be safe. And so it implemented a load of incredibly restrictive bylaws, um, one of which stipulated that if Argentina uh, ever tried to seize this asset again and take it into state hands, then they would have to make a mandatory offer to the existing shareholders, essentially buying them out at a previously agreed price that depends on a quite complex calculation. This agreement that Argentina guaranteed the investors' money would be safe would turn out to be a critical decision for the country. And at the time, it works. These bylaws are put into place, and the company's sold. Now, let's flash forward to 2012. At the time, a Spanish oil company called Repsol is the majority owner of YPF, and this is when Argentina's president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, pops into the picture. Now, it's important to remember here that Fernandez de Kirchner is a part of the Peronist movement. Here's Kira again with a bit of background on that. The Peronist movement came out of an alliance in the 1940s between General Juan Domingo Perón and trade unions. Um, and it was a left-wing populist uh, movement that has kind of morphed into lots of different things over the years um, and really defines Argentine politics. You're either Peronist or you're anti-Peronist. Kira says that when Peronists have been in charge in Argentina, history has shown that they often make some unorthodox economic decisions. So the Peronists have tended to rely on both high taxes and money printing in order to fund high state spending. Um, and they've also resorted to some more unorthodox measures like currency controls. Argentina has an official exchange rate. So currently, the government says that $1 should buy you 350 pesos. But there are lots of parallel exchange markets where a dollar will actually buy you 800 pesos. And that disconnect, the fact that the government says the peso is worth almost twice as much as it actually is, creates a lot of distortions in Argentina's economy. So you have a ruling coalition that historically makes, let's say, unconventional economic choices. 
And that might have also been the case when Fernandez de Kirchner and the Peronist government renationalized YPF in 2012. When the expropriation happens, those bylaws, the ones that were written up in the 1990s and guaranteed that investors' money would be safe, well, apparently they weren't really followed. Here's Joe again. Not only did Argentina not do that when it finally expropriated YPF in 2012, but the then vice economy minister said at the time that it would be stupid to comply with YPF bylaws. Now, it took some back and forth, but within a couple of years, Repsol did get some money out of Argentina. But there were other smaller shareholders who were left waiting. The second and third largest um, shareholders were companies called Peterson, which was a Spanish investment company, and a a far smaller company called Eaton Park, which was a US-based hedge fund. And both of them suffered terribly as a result of this expropriation. Uh, Peterson actually went bankrupt as a result. Uh, Eaton Park was wound up soon afterwards. But they both launched proceedings against Argentina in order to force the country to pay them for the uh, shares that had been essentially deemed worthless by the expropriation or near worthless. So by 2015, those smaller shareholders decided to go very big. They decided to take the country of Argentina to court. So, Joe... What happened next? How long have you got, really? Um, It's been an eight-year battle, and it's gone through various guises and appeals. Joe tells me that the case started inside a federal court in New York City. That's because the plaintiffs argued YPF shares had been traded on the New York Stock Exchange before Argentina took control of the company. And after almost a decade in court, it all culminated in a decision this year. In March, a judge in the Southern District of New York decided that Argentina was in fact liable for breaching its obligations to the YPF shareholders. But that wasn't the end of the case. In September, the judge issued her order saying that Argentina owed the highest amount possible, which is a combined $16 billion. And that's the largest award ever in the Southern District of New York and certainly the largest award against a sovereign nation. Argentina has vowed to appeal the decision, and that process has already started. But this case has brought up some big questions, so I wanted to ask Kira and Joe more about what it all means. Now, Joe, I understand that it was determined that this case could proceed in a New York court because YPF had been on the stock exchange here. But, I mean, can this court actually enforce this type of judgment on a whole other country? I mean... Is that even possible? The reason that New York courts can enforce such a judgment um, is this is where global capitalism is essentially orchestrated from. And if Argentina ever wants to, you know, raise debt again, it's going to have to do it through New York. If it ever wants to join international markets again, it's going to have to do it through New York. And that's true of almost any large company around the world. And so uh, until uh, laws are changed in Washington, a, a U.S. federal court is going to have the power to seize assets that come through this city. Mm. Mm-hmm. So has anything like this ever happened before? This is by no means Argentina's first skirmish with American hedge funds. You may remember that Elliott Management, one of the world's largest hedge funds, which is uh, headed by Paul Singer, a famous um, investor uh, here in the United States, he 
led a 15-year campaign to get Argentina to pay out bondholders after it defaulted on its debt in 2001. And uh, that battle led to some really extraordinary moves by Elliot. Uh, they seized, for example, a um, Argentinian Navy vessel in Ghana and tried to impound that in order to embarrass Argentina into paying up. They even forced Argentina's president to charter private planes to fly around the world because if the president flew on government-owned planes, they could be impounded as soon as they landed in a jurisdiction that um, the U.S. courts could command to comply with a court order. Wow. That is completely wild. So what ended up happening there? Was it resolved? So that was an enormous battle, uh, which uh, Argentina eventually ended with a uh, $2.4 billion settlement in, in 2016. And, and um, even though Argentina was in a very difficult economic situation then, in some ways this is worse because bondholders, you know, the government has a right to try to renegotiate debt, which it issued. This is just a simple case of owing $16 billion Okay, so in that previous case, I'd assume that Elliott Management, being, as you said, one of the world's largest hedge funds, had the deep pockets you'd need to pursue a country for, you know, 15 years. But I thought you said that the shareholders in this new case had gone bankrupt. So how's this whole thing been funded? There's an extra twist to this litigation in that it was funded by an extraordinary company called Burford Capital. And I say extraordinary because this was a company that has essentially pioneered something called litigation finance. And essentially what it does is if you have plaintiffs, claimants uh, with a solid complaint who can't afford to pay the very expensive lawyers you'd have to hire to, say, go after a country like Argentina... Well, Burford then steps in and says, we will pay for this litigation in exchange for a share of the eventual award. And it's a kind of controversial practice. Some people say it encourages frivolous litigation. Burford would, of course, contest that what they do just means that people who have a genuine claim and can't afford to bring it are finally able to pursue justice. So how likely is it that this money does get paid back? I mean, you know, Elliot, I guess, eventually got what it wanted, but... That took 15 years. So Jay Newman, for example, who's the person who spearheaded Elliot's campaign at the time, he told us that he doesn't believe Argentina can pay this claim even if it wanted to. And it's fair to say that almost every analyst looking at this case doesn't believe that uh, the plaintiffs will get anywhere near 16 billion. What will end up happening if indeed Argentina decides to settle is that they will be forced to take a significant haircut. So Kira, how has the $16 billion judgment been received in Argentina? So $16 billion is obviously a big sum for Argentina. Um, last week, Argentina's lawyers actually wrote to the judge pointing out that $16 billion is 20% of its national budget. At the same time, Argentina has over $400 billion in public debt, and about $120 billion of that comes due by the end of next year. So it's a drop in the ocean in terms of how bad the Argentine debt situation is. I'd say most politicians in Argentina are kind of sitting back and waiting to see what happens with the appeal. Now, in just a few weeks, there's going to be a presidential election. And then this issue with the YPF shareholders will be that new person's problem. 
So can you just give us a brief lay of the land here with what's happening with that election? So Argentina has a very high stakes election coming up. Um, we have the Peronist government trying to stay in power with economy minister Sergio Massa. Uh, and then his main rival was expected to be the kind of establishment pro-business coalition, uh, Juntos por el Cambio, whose candidate is Patricia Bullrich. But both of them have been really put on the back foot by Javier Millet, who's a libertarian economist with a really radical plan to shrink Argentina's state and dollarize the economy. And he's been surging in the polls and is now the front runner for the election. Now, as we learned, the Peronists were in charge when YPF was renationalized in 2012. And they're currently in power now and trying to hold on to that by running a candidate in this election. So what implications might this $16 billion judgment have on the election? Have the candidates said anything about this? Both Millet and Bullrich have, yeah, really held up the ruling as evidence of the failings of the Peronists um, and reasons why Argentina should not stick with them. Um, but neither of them has really been willing to say that they approve of the ruling or think it's a good thing. I think the case fits into this political divide that is ever present in Argentina, where on the one side you have the populist Peronist movement um, kind of doing quite economically unorthodox things to protect uh, what they see as the rights and the sovereignty of Argentines. And then on the other side, you have anti-Peronists who tend to be more kind of pro-business and internationalist who say that by not following the rules and by making short-term decisions, the Peronists are mismanaging the economy and end up having big consequences for the country long-term. So, I mean, is Argentina the victim here with this case, do you think? Or was this just gross economic mismanagement on the side of the government when they decided to nationalize YPF again? I mean, I think there's a real tension here. Like, Argentina should have the right to decide what it does with its natural resources. And I think, you know, today the idea that a U.S. firm and U.S. courts are trying to wring cash out of a country that is really struggling to look after its people is pretty depressing. But on the other hand, Argentina didn't follow the rules that its government had committed to when it privatized YPF in the 90s. And it's hard to see how Argentina regains the confidence of creditors, which it will eventually need to do in order to get out of the kind of hole it's in, unless it abides by laws in the future. Behind the Money is hosted by me, Nikela Tendera. Safia Ahmed is our producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Monique Malima is our intern. Special thanks to Michael Stott. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.